Well, hello everybody once again. It is so good to be with all of you here today on this first weekend of the new year. And I can't think of a better way to start the new year than to open up God's word together. And so if you have your Bible handy, go ahead and grab it. And let's turn to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven is where we are today. And as you turn there, I do wanna say, I hope you had just a great, great Christmas. My family definitely did. You know, my kids right now, they are seven, almost four and two and a half. And as you can imagine, we are in the middle of just some great, great years for Christmas for our kids. In fact, we'll put a picture on the screen of my three kids the night before Christmas. This is the night before they got to open up all of their presents. And you can just see the excitement on their faces, can't you? You can see how excited they are to get their presents. But you know what you don't see in that picture? What you don't see in that picture is the excitement on my face and the excitement on my wife's face. You know, I was thinking about it Christmas morning. It's, it's hard to know these days who is more excited for Christmas, my three kids or my wife and I. Christmas definitely takes on a new meaning when you have little kids in your life. There's so much fun in seeing the joy on your kids' faces because of the gifts that you got them. In fact, a couple of nights before Christmas, my wife and I, we laid out all the presents that we got for our kids in order to begin the process of wrapping, wrapping them. And Botan and I, we had such excitement thinking about Lucas's reaction when he was going to open up that present or how much Madison would enjoy that present and so on. And I'm sure that many of you have had similar experiences. You see, as parents, we love to give gifts to our children, don't we? There's so much enjoyment and there's so much excitement in getting just that perfect present for your child and, and anticipating and then seeing the look of happiness when they open it. I mean, it's, it's just a universal principle, right? Parents love giving gifts to their children. Well, did you know that our Heavenly Father, did you know that He loves to give gifts to us as well? And did you know the love that God has to give gifts to His children is actually the foundation upon which the act of prayer itself sits. That one of the reasons that God tells us to go to him in prayer and one of the reasons why God answers prayer is because just like human parents, our heavenly father loves to give gifts to us. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about here today. Today we are beginning a brand new sermon series and I am really, really excited about this sermon series. And the reason why is I believe this sermon series has the potential to be more than just a sermon series. I believe that this sermon series has the potential to be the beginning of really a movement. The title of this sermon series is If, and this is a sermon series that is all about the subject of prayer. And we get the title of this series from a great verse that's in the Old Testament section of our Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And we're going to put this on the screen. Listen to what God says. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now what a verse for our day and age, right? Listen to it again. If my people, God says, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And starting this Monday, January 4th, and lasting for 21 days, we as a church are going to do exactly what this verse says. We're going to commit to praying. And we're going to commit to humbling ourselves and asking God to move in our lives, in our church, and in our world. And it is so important that we do this. You know, it goes without saying, but 2020 was a very difficult year. In a time when a lot of people disagree on a lot of different things, I think we can all agree on that, right? 2020 was a very difficult year, and we all want this year to be better. 
We all want 2021 to be different, but what is going to make 2021 any better? Well, I believe the answer is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. I believe that if God's people get serious about praying, there's no telling what can happen in this year. And so that's why, as I said, for 21 days, all we're going to do at French Church is, is we're just going to pray every single weekend. We're going to talk about praying in our weekend services for the next several weeks. We're going to have 21 days of devotionals and, and, and prayers that you can pray throughout the week. And we're also going to have times of worship where we gather together and we just worship and we ask God to move in our church, in our lives, and in our world. And today what I want to do is I want to set the foundation not just for these 21 days of prayer, but, but I want to set the foundation just for a life of prayer in general. And that's what brings us to this passage in Matthew chapter 7 we're looking at today. The passage we're looking at today, it comes at the tail end of the very famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest uninterrupted teaching of Jesus that we have in our Bibles. It actually begins all the way back in Matthew chapter 5. And for three straight chapters, what Jesus does is he just talks to us about God. He teaches his people about God and he teaches his people what it looks like to follow after God, what it looks like to be God's son and what it looks like to be God's daughter. And in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is beginning to draw this great sermon to a close. And as he does, one of the last things that he talks about is he talks about prayer. He talks about the importance of praying. And he begins his discussion on prayer with a command. Look with me at Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Let me read that again. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And what is Jesus telling us to do here? Well, quite simply, Jesus is telling us to pray. Jesus is telling us to ask God for things. The three main verbs of this particular verse, ask, seek, and knock. They're basically synonymous. They mean the same thing in the context of this verse. And the original Greek language in which these words are written, these words are actually written as commands. There was a way that you could write a word in the Greek language to make it clear that you were commanding someone to do something. There was a way that you could write a word in the Greek language to make it clear that you were ordering someone to do something. And that's how ask, seek, and knock are written here. And what that means is that in this passage, Jesus is literally ordering us to pray. Jesus is literally ordering us to ask God for things. He's ordering us to ask God to do things. And that's what prayer is, by the way, in its simplest form. In fact, the Greek word that is translated prayer throughout the New Testament section of our Bible, it literally means to petition. And that's what we're doing in prayer. We're petitioning God. We're asking God for things. We're asking God to do things. That's why I always get a little bit sad when someone tells me that they're not a good prayer or that they don't know how to pray. And honestly, anytime I hear that, I always blame myself. I blame us pastors. I blame my profession. Because I think when we stand up in front of you on the weekends and we give these super long, super spiritual sounding prayers, I think we run the risk of complicating prayer. And I think we run the risk of making prayer something that it's not. As I said, in its simplest form, prayer is simply asking God to do things. It's asking God for things. If you know how to order food at a restaurant, or better if you know how to ask your spouse or your children or, or an employee to do something, you know how to pray. Prayer is making requests of God just like we would make requests of other people. And that is what Jesus is commanding us to do here. That's what he's ordering us to do here. 
And why does Jesus want us to pray? Why does Jesus want us to ask God for things? Well, you find that in the very next verse. You find that in verse 8. Look at what Jesus says here. Right after commanding us to pray, Jesus says this, verse 8, he says, for. Now pay attention to that word for there, because that's a word that's telling us that Jesus is now giving us the why of verse 7. He's telling us why he wants us to pray. For, he says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And what is Jesus saying here? Well, what Jesus is saying here is the reason that we are to ask God for things is because everyone who asks God for things is going to receive those things. The reason we should pray, the reason we should make requests of God is because everyone who makes requests of God will receive those requests. That's what Jesus is saying here. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. The reason we should ask God for things is because everyone who asks God for things will receive those things. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now at this point, I can imagine what some of you are thinking. And some of you are thinking, hey, Chris, you just lost me on that last point. I was tracking with you up until that last point, but, but you lost me there because I cannot get behind what you just said. Listen, I understand that we should pray. No problem with that. I understand that God tells us to ask him for things. I have no issue there. But you can't really tell me that the reason we should ask God for things is because everyone who asks God for things will receive those things. Because listen, I've asked God for a lot of things over the years and I haven't received them. So you may wanna dial back that statement that you just made a little bit because it's simply not true. And I wanna let you know, I absolutely understand that objection. But to that objection, let me say a couple of things, okay? First of all, you need to understand I am not saying anything that Jesus doesn't say here. I mean, listen to how strong verse eight is. Listen to Jesus's words here. He says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. It's Jesus who is saying that the reason that we should pray is because everyone who asks God for things will receive those things. I'm not saying anything that Jesus isn't saying here. It's Jesus who is making this claim. But at the same time, I do understand that objection. Because anybody who has been a Christian for any length of time has had the experience of of praying and asking God for something and it's not happening. Whether it's a university you wanted to get into or whether it's a job you really wanted or maybe it's a loved one you you wanted God to heal. We've all asked God for things and we haven't gotten. And honestly, in this past year, that's probably been the experience for many of us more than ever. So what do we do here? How do we reconcile the very strong claim, the very strong words that Jesus says here with the experience that many of us have had in prayer and in the Christian life? Well, this is actually where the rest of this passage comes in. This is where Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11 come in. And at the risk of exaggerating here, brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11 are the most important verses in the entire Bible on the subject of prayer. And that's not just a typical pastor overstatement to make a point, okay? I really believe that. I believe verses 9 through 11 of Matthew chapter 7 are the most important verses in the entire Bible on the subject of prayer. And I say that because these verses give us the foundation of prayer. They give us the principle that is at the heart of prayer. 
So let's listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And because this is so important, let me read that again. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And there we find, as I said, really the foundation of prayer itself and, and the lens through which we should think about prayer. And it all goes back to what I talked about at the beginning. It all goes back to what my wife and I experienced uh, in giving gifts to our children on Christmas morning. You see, what God Jesus wants us to do in this passage is he wants us to imagine a scenario. He paints a little bit of a scene for us. And he wants us to imagine the typical earthly mom and dad. And he wants us to imagine that this typical earthly mom and dad, they are sitting down to dinner for, for a family dinner. And they're sitting down with their one and only child. In this particular case, it happens to be a son. And at this family dinner, they're eating the typical food that a family would eat at this time. And that's bread and fish, the very two things that Jesus multiplied in the feeding of the 5,000. And what Jesus wants us to imagine is as this family is sitting down for dinner, the son asks the dad to pass the bread. He's been running around all day, he's hungry, and so he asks his dad to pass the bread. And the question that Jesus asks in this passage is what father, what father, when hearing that request from their child, what father would say to his son, oh sure son, and then reach under the table and grab a stone and throw that at their son? Or if the son asked the father to pass the main course, to, to pass the fish, what father in a situation like that would reach into a bag, grab a snake, and, and hand that poisonous snake to their son? What parent would knowingly and willingly do something that could harm or injure their child? Well, the answer is no one, right? No reasonable parent would do that. No, if, if your child makes a reasonable request, and if you as a parent have the ability to meet that request, you fulfill your child's request, right? If your child makes a reasonable request, and if you as a parent have the ability to meet that request, you give your child what they ask for. Well, what Jesus tells us in this passage is that principle, that's the lens through which we should think about prayer. This is what Jesus says in verse 11 when he says this. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the point that Jesus is making here is clear. If we parents, in all of our sinfulness, and all of our selfishness, and all of our flaws, and that's what Jesus is really getting at by the word evil there. Jesus is using a technique that was common of teachers of this time to sort of exaggerate things for the purposes of making a point. If we parents, in all of our sinfulness, in all of our self-centeredness, in all of our flaws, if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, if we delight in fulfilling the requests of our children, as my wife and I did on Christmas morning, then how much more can we expect our perfect heavenly Father to delight in giving things to us. If we parents in all of our selfishness still find joy in selflessly giving our kids what they ask for, then how much more can we expect our selfless heavenly father to find joy in giving us what we ask for? 
And this really is the foundation of prayer. This is why prayer exists, and this is why prayer works. When we come before God in prayer, brothers and sisters, we are not coming before a distant, angry, disinterested God. No, we're coming before a loving, heavenly Father who loves to give gifts to his children. And, and this is so important to understand. If you were in Yorba Linda a couple of weeks ago, you know I talked about the wrong view that people sometimes ha have of God, the wrong view that I had of God for a really long time. I saw God as this sort of out there distant God who really couldn't care less about me, who could sort of take me or leave me. And I know, I know I'm not alone in that thinking. Well, guess what? It's really hard to pray to a God like that. And it's really hard to ask a God like that for things. Well, that is not at all what God is like. And that is what Jesus makes clear here. Jesus makes it clear here that when we come before God in prayer, we are coming before a loving heavenly father who wants us to ask him for things and who loves to give us the things that we ask for. Our God is a loving father who wants us to ask him for things and who loves to give us the things that we ask for. That is the essence of prayer. And that is also the reason why sometimes when we ask God for things, he doesn't give it to us. It's actually because God is a loving father that we don't get everything we ask for. And I know that many of you know what I'm talking about here. You know, almost every single morning when I finish getting ready and I come downstairs to leave for work, my youngest daughter, Mackenzie, Kenzie we call her, Almost every single morning, Kenzie asked me if she can have a sucker. Uh, she asked me for a sucker. You see, there was a, a morning a couple of months ago where she found a solitary sucker on the bottom of the pantry. And she grabbed it, and without my wife and I knowing, she started eating it one morning. And ever since then, she thinks sucker is breakfast food. And so almost every single morning, she asked me if she can have a sucker. And every single morning when she asked me if she can have a sucker, I say to her, no. Why? Because I know that a sucker wouldn't be good for her because I know that a sucker is not a part of a nutritious breakfast. She needs to eat a Pop-Tart or waffles drizzled in syrup instead. That's much more nutritious. But seriously, I, I know that a sucker wouldn't be good for her. And as a loving parent, I don't wanna do something for my children that wouldn't be good for them. The same goes for God. You see, our God is committed to something. Like any loving parent, he only wants what is good for us. Like any loving parent, he never wants to give us something that is bad for us. And sometimes we ask for something that wouldn't be good for us. We ask for the equivalent of a sucker for breakfast. Now, we don't realize that it wouldn't be good for us. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't ask for it. But God does. God, in his infinite wisdom, knows things that we don't know. He sees things that we can't see. And if we ever ask something of God that would not be good for us, God does what any loving parent says. God says no, and that's why we don't end up getting everything we ask for. Now, even as those words come out of my mouth, brothers and sisters, I am well aware of the fact that sometimes it's really difficult to understand why some of the things we ask for wouldn't be good for us. I mean, if we ask for God to make a you know, sports car appear in our driveway and God says no to that, I think we can all understand the reasoning behind that. But when we ask God to heal a loved one and God doesn't answer that prayer request with a yes, it's really hard to understand that. Why would healing the young mother of three or why would healing a young child not be a good thing that God wants to give us? And honestly, there's just no easy answer to that question. This is simply where trust comes in. 
Trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God has a purpose and a plan and trust in what Paul says in Romans, that everything that happens is something that can work out for our good. I am convinced that when we get to heaven, we're gonna see the reason for every no that God gave us, and it will make sense. We will understand it. But you know what? We're not always gonna be given those reasons this side of eternity. And so in the absence of those reasons, in the absence of knowing what God is up to, you know what we do? We do what Jesus says here. We ask, we seek, we knock, we pray about everything, and we let God sort it out. We go to God with every want, every need, every desire that we have, and we trust Jesus' words here. If it is good, God will give it to us. If it's good for us, we will receive what we ask for. In fact, if I could summarize what Jesus says in this passage in one sentence, that's exactly how I would summarize it. Pray about everything. And if it's good, if it fits in with God's good purposes for this world and God's good purposes for our lives, God will give it to us. Pray about everything. And if it's good, God will give it to us. And that's exactly the attitude that I want us to take into this 21 days of prayer. You know, you probably heard me tell the story before. I love it. The story of the man who bought a, a painting at a garage sale for $4. Not because he liked the painting but because he liked the frame that the painting was in and he wanted to use that frame to put something else in it. And so when he got his $4 purchase home, he removed the original painting so he could put something else in that frame. And when he removed that original painting, he found that sitting behind that painting was one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence. And he ended up selling it at an auction for $2.4 million a little bit later. This is an absolutely true story. And what always gets me about this story is that family who sold that painting for $4, they had no idea what was available to them. They had no idea the potential that they had. And I think the same is often true for us Christians in prayer. Chuck Swindoll talks about how he's convinced that when we get to heaven, Jesus is gonna take us to a room that is filled floor to ceiling with some of the deepest desires that we had in this life but were never fulfilled, tangible and intangible things that represent the deepest longings that we had in this life but, but we never got. And so confused, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say, what, what in the world is this room? And Jesus is going to say, these are all the things that I wanted to give you in this life. And that's going to make us even more confused. And so we're going to go, Jesus, so why didn't you give them to me? And Jesus' response is going to be very simple. He's going to say, because you never asked me for it. You never asked me for it. It's like what that song we used to sing says. When it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We just have no idea what is available to us in prayer. Now, I know this talk makes some of you uncomfortable. And I want to make it clear. I am not preaching name it and claim it for those of you who know what that is. And I'm not preaching that God wants all of us to be wealthy and all we have to do is, is ask him for it. No, the Bible speaks very, very strongly against that. In fact, probably the clearest place is James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, where James, the brother of Jesus, says this. We'll put it on the screen. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God is not going to grant requests that lead to selfishness. Remember, God is committed to our good. But that being said, 
I really do believe that we can and we should go to God about everything and trust God to sort it out. We can and we should ask God about everything and allow him to decide what is good for us and what isn't. There is no telling what God will do with that, even in the smallest of things. I experienced this just a couple of weeks ago. The Saturday before Christmas, there was a surprise gift from my wife that hadn't arrived by the time I needed to leave for work for the Saturday night service. And I knew that this gift, I knew it was going to arrive that day, and I knew it was going to arrive in its original packaging, which means that if it arrived when I wasn't there, the surprise was going to be ruined. And so as I was leaving my house, I, I prayed. I said, God, would you let this package arrive right now? Well, sure enough, 30 seconds after I prayed that prayer, as I was literally reaching for the car door to get into it to leave for work, the UPS truck drove in front of my house. And there was my wife's gift, and I was able to hide it in my car without my wife ever knowing. God answered my prayer. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, Chris, that was just a coincidence. But I like what William Temple said. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. When I pray, coincidences happen, and I found that to be the case. And so, as we enter into this 21 days of prayer, what would it look like if you made prayer your first instinct over the next three weeks? Not your last resort, which is how a lot of people treat prayer, but what if you made it your first instinct? What if every time you had a want, every time you had a need, every time you had a desire, the first thing that you did is you went to God about it? Need to get in a certain class for the spring semester to graduate on time? Ask God for it. Want to go on a date with somebody? Ask God for it. Struggling right now at work or struggling to find work? I, I know many of you have already been praying. Continue to ask God for it. Have a child who is struggling right now in distance learning? Ask God to help your child. And ask God to help you to help your child. Pray about everything. Don't worry. You are not going to tire God out. He loves it when his children ask him for things. And if it's good, He's going to give it to us. That's what Jesus says here. And that's why as we close right now, I would love to give us an opportunity to do just that. I'd love us to give, an to give us an opportunity just to go before God and ask, seek, and knock. And actually what I want you to do is I'm going to give you a moment here. And wherever you are, I want you to pray and I want you to ask God for at least three things that's on your heart. Three wants, three needs, three desires that you have. You don't have to use fancy language or anything like that. Just ask God for those things and see what God does with it. So would you do me a favor, would you bow your heads with me right now? And I'm gonna give you a moment here just to pray to God and then I'll close with prayer in just a second. Let's go before God in prayer. Father God, um, I really do believe what I said earlier, Lord, that we just have no idea the potential that is available to us in prayer, God. And that says nothing about us, but it says everything about you and the gracious, giving, loving, heavenly Father that you are. And that's why, God, I really do believe that this 21 days of prayer that we're entering into, God, I believe that it has the potential to be more than just a sermon series that we forget after three weeks, God. But but it has the potential to be the beginning of something really big uh, in, in our lives and, and in our church, God. And so, Father, I pray that we would take Jesus' words here to heart. I pray that we would ask, that we would seek, that we would knock, that we would go to you about everything, Lord. And God, we would trust that what Jesus says here, Father, that as we pray, we would have faith that if it is good, you will give it to us. That's what your word says. And if it's not good, Father, 
you won't give it to us. And I know sometimes those no's from you are really difficult, Lord, but I, I pray that we would understand that you are committed to our good and you have a reason for everything. And so we would trust the times that you say no. But God, I also pray that you would use the next 21 days just to really strengthen our faith as we begin to see some of these big prayer requests in our life be answered, Lord. And we would just get a better picture of just how much you love us and how you love to give good things to your children. And so God, we thank you for the Father that you are. We thank you for this new year where we get to start fresh and, and maybe think and, and dream in different ways that we never have before, Father. And I thank you in advance for all the work that you are going to do, God. We love you, Father, we thank you. And we ask all of this in your son's name, amen.